Welcome to the Digital Solicitor Podcast with me, Christina Grasco. The subject under discussion today is about the key differences between having IT and using IT. I'm delighted to be joined in this conversation by Craig Matthews, who is the Director of Lifetime Planning at Leap, and Nicola Moore-Miller, CEO of Java Global, who provide dedicated consultants and trainers for the legal sector, and whose mission is to inspire law firms to adapt, harness technology, and thrive. So let's start by defining our terms here. A lot of people professionally and personally own digital devices and use IT. They say they have IT. However, a much smaller proportion really use it and get their money's worth out of it, let alone allow it to change and improve their life or efficiency in business. It's about being smart with technology to differentiate your business and do your heavy lifting for growth. Technology used properly will give your business an edge and should be invested in early and often. Now, studies abound in this area, and they all tend towards the same conclusion. Despite increased availability of legal software in firms, sometimes less than 20% of users really use it properly. Everyone else is underusing and probably underperforming as a result. There are many reasons for this, some of it being fear or a dislike of change, another being a perception that IT in all its forms is a cost center rather than an investment. My experience also shows that fee earners and support staff often have a reluctance to make enough time to train properly. Lawyers are a bit well known for failing to turn up for any kind of IT training unless it's also of personal interest to them. They cite too much work and need to turn time into money and missing the point whilst they do so. So like me, my guests today have spent a lot of time with lawyers implementing, supporting and training legal software in their practices. And they have a wealth of knowledge that points to five key areas in which law firms can fail to maximize their use of technology and in doing so, failing to get a good return on investment. So before we start to look at the five areas, can I ask each of you to take a moment to introduce yourselves? My name is Craig Matthews. As Christina said, I'm the Director of Lifetime Planning here at LEAP. I've been working in the legal tech sphere now for over 20 years. I'm Nicola Moore-Miller. I am the global CEO of the Jave Group. I've also been working in the legal sector for over 20 years. And my background is as a chartered management accountant. I decided to sort of turn that on its head and use those accounting qualifications to help people with their technology and their processes in law firms. I mentioned five key areas in which law firms can fail to maximise the use of technology and in doing so failing to get a return on investment. And the first of these is a failure to invest in people. Nicola, can I start with you and ask you, what investment do you think is missing in firms, in people? And what do you think is important for firms to get right? I think very often when people are they have technology or they, they buy new technology, there is uh, an assumption that the technology is, is just going to fit and it's going to work with them and for them. And often they see the price of the software as the only investment they need to make. And so at the point of sale, when people are buying um, legal technology solutions, they will often try and cut down things like project management and training because they see that as something that they can deal with themselves and not something that they necessarily need to um, pay for services for. And, and that's really a false economy in our experience. As you rightly said in the introduction, Christina, 
law firms, particularly the size of law firms that we're dealing with, they are very busy, small to medium sized enterprises and people have fees targets, they have high caseloads, they have lots of conflicting priorities. And so the distraction of training is is deemed as just that. It's a distraction from their core their their core priorities. But that not not identifying it as a priority is 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 a really big risk for the for the practice. The people in the law firms are the people who do the heavy lifting. Because people talk a lot about AI. And yes, okay, AI is becoming part of what we are seeing on the legal technology scene. But at the end of the day, it is people who are working those machines and who are utilizing that software. And therefore, they need to understand why. They need to understand how. That's the priority, really, is just giving people the knowledge and the expertise to be able to get the best out of their technology. The counter side of that is if you aren't investing in people, you potentially are going to end up with a high staff turnover because they don't feel engaged, they feel the system is inadequate, you might lose core skills. There is a learning curve effect, you know, there is a a small, in some cases, large impact on efficiency in the early days of a new system. And so people see that as a negative thing. But actually, it's it's one of those things like in life, you know, you you can't make an omelette without breaking eggs. So you have to have that sort of short-term pain for the long-term gain and actually in doing so you're likely to be rewarded with much better efficiency, empowered people, uh, increased skills and that can only impact the the law firm positively. Craig, can I ask you, is is it symptomatic of firms feeling they don't have time to invest in people full stop or is it a particular blind spot with regards to IT? I think it could be a particular blind spot. If I think back to how I um, first got into legal technology, uh, I was working in law firm. We had a new case management system. We actually moved back from a mainframe to a PC-based one. It was that long ago. Um, And being a relatively uh, young person at that time in the department, the task fell upon me to to use it, to, to, to become familiar with it. So I did the supervisor training as it was and, and started setting up processes. It was a mixture of status codes and, and, and letters, very rudimental workflow. But very soon I found that my passion really lay in the development of better and improved processes and procedures, which then led me to a, a career in legal IT. And my first few roles were, were going out meeting and greeting clients, showing them how to get the most from software and working with them as they took their manual processes and, and, and digitized them. So for me, it was great that the law firm gave me the opportunity to do that. But as I think back now, I probably made the decision to do that. So I was the one staying late after hours because I saw there was improvements to be gained. I saw that we could do things better. We could standardize more of the processes we we ran through. And then that was delivered to the department as a whole. And the gains, of course, were great. One person can make a change if that letter's run multiple times by multiple people. Your your, your return on investment is, is huge. So we know that lawyers do invest time in training on the law and keeping their skills up to date. They have to do that. But surely a large part of their skill set is how they use and interact with IT now. Depending on what area of law you practice, you'll be using at least two or three different pieces of software. Well, are you getting the most from it? I've been chatting to clients recently who use Microsoft Teams. I told them that there was ability to both record and transcribe a Teams conversation. It's a standard part of Microsoft Teams. Just Google it and you'll find that information. People don't know that. 
it's quite tough because of course lawyers don't necessarily know what they don't know but at the same time if they're not investing in that training investing in courses to learn more then they're never going to and those small things can make such a big difference to the way in which a business operates that you know it it is it's definitely a blind spot it's not a blind spot we can't fix we can force people taking it at different levels i don't think you know anyone should be saying oh i don't get it anymore we're a generation now where you kind of have to if you do any any job you have to use IT and invariably they will interact with it um, at home in multiple capacities so what we now need to do look at is look at the law firm and say well hey where are my deficiencies where aren't we getting the most efficient use of the software where could we improve things and then work with people like Nick or indeed you know us at Leap and, and discuss how we can help with that with those kind of issues. Nicola, can I ask, what does it look like when firms get this right? Let's put it the other end. What does it look like when they don't get it right, when they don't give people the skills and, I would argue, feeling empowered, actually, to really use those skills and push your changes? What does the firm lose? I think it varies massively depending on on the firm, the areas of law that they operate, how proceduralized the, the software is, how experienced the staff are. We've seen some fairly catastrophic situations where, you know, entire teams have left because they feel that the software is inadequate or they feel that the firm are not giving them the time that they need to get to grips with the software to do their jobs as efficiently as they need to. And the impact of that, obviously, is is huge, you know, to lose an entire team. I mean, that's, I would say, the exception rather than the rule. But, you know, the loss of the impact on service levels is huge. The loss of those core skills is huge. Recruitment is incredibly difficult right now. The recruitment market is it's just a different world since COVID. So trying to find the right people with the right skills and then, ironically, you're going to have to get them trained up. So had you just made that investment ahead of time and not lost the team then the situation could have been avoided that's sort of one impact a more more sort of common impact i would say is you know issues with your annual audit your solicitors uh, solicitors accounts rules audit you know your auditors come in at the end of the, the year and they find a bunch of files that haven't been handled correctly you know maybe you're sell accredited and and things that crop up on there best practice review if people aren't shown how to use the, the technology correctly gaps and omissions and errors are going to occur and the risk of that is you know professional negligence claims complaints all of which are incredibly time consuming and costly and in the review solicitors model that we have now you can't hide bad press you know if you get a few bad uh, bad reviews about things that have been missed or you know something hits the press about a failure to deliver on certain undertakings whatever it might be that can be incredibly damaging to a firm and actually all that was needed perhaps was a small schedule or program of trainings on particular functions whether it be anti-money laundering you know legal case management legal cashiering whatever the specific subject area is chances are two to three hours of just sitting with an expert sort of understanding those functions would have completely dealt with that requirement and and avoided the issue entirely greg have you got any thoughts on that yeah absolutely a, a couple of comments that nicola made that kind of reminded me of past experiences one in particular and on the auditing front when i was working with the law firm i got called in by the manager of the department to try and understand why one of the 
members of the administration team always produced documents in Curry and You with a with a font size of 10 when our stand was was times 11 and 12. And the lady wasn't particularly IT literate, system was relatively new. Um, so we didn't think that she had that skill set to enable her to go and change fonts and, and, and font sizes, trying to work out how it was possible. So back when we had the mainframe system, we also had a couple of word processors. And those of you who are too young to remember, word processor is ultimately a typewriter with a with, with, with a screen. And the manager and I stayed late one night to try and understand because the lady who did it would always work late as well, always work late, religiously work late. And we were really late. So we had to wait for her to go once she delivered her post to the manager. And we found that she had hidden one of these word processors under her desk. So we'd spend between nine and five pretty much staring at a screen, but refusing to use it. And at the end of the day, would take the word processor from under her desk and do her day's worth of work. Of course, our issue was we had no record, no electronic record of any document that's ever sent out. We were both too scared to confront her. So we just took it away. And of course, she couldn't complain that, that, that it wasn't there anymore because she shouldn't have had it in the first place. I'm not saying that was probably the best tactic, but there are extreme circumstances where people are unwilling to use IT. I think some of it's down to fear. Again, I remember back from around that time, there was a concern that if you press the wrong button on your computer screen, that a, a rocket would go up to space or something and there'd be a horrible outcome. But there isn't, and there's an undo button anyway. And you can't delete things irrecoverably because of backups and everything else anyway, or at least it's very difficult to do so. Fear can often be resolved just through a little bit of training, a little bit of hand-holding. And I think that's a really important investment part for, for, for people to understand. There was another great example where I'd worked closely with a firm who had brilliant processes and procedures written within their system. And the guy was also a, a, a conveyancer. When he left, they replaced the conveyancer but didn't value the skills he brought to the department in terms of the configuration of the system and very soon of course the system became or the processes became outdated and the letters weren't updated and therefore it didn't work properly and you know within six months from be being super efficient they'd gone back to manual processing so it's not just a, a one-time let's invent it let's get it right it's actually this ongoing need for investment and if you take it on an incremental improvement basis then its returns are huge but Conversely, if you don't, you'll go back to basically just having a document repository and working outside of the CMS, which is not good for efficiency, for productivity, return on investment, indeed, for, for auditing. Just to pick up on the fair point that, that you made there, Craig, in our, I mean, we train every types of person within a law firm, you know, the people on reception, the lawyers, the partners, the legal cashiers, the accountants who are external and they help the law firms, you know, paralegals. There's lots of different roles and responsibilities within a law firm and their requirements for the system are all remarkably different. One of the, the groups, if, if, if you will, of people that are often the hardest to train are the accounting and finance people because, and, and I think it's exactly what you said, I think it's fair. There is a great sense of pride and ownership with somebody who is responsible for the legal accounts within a law firm. It's, you know, there's the, the element of clients' money. It's a protection. It's got to be done right. There are rules to be followed. We can't, we can't change how we do it because we know that our audience is clean now and if we change it we might introduce risk so that fear is often what drives what can sometimes be a very negative response to a new system or to training and it's not be, it's not out of malice it's not I out of know. yeah it's not out of oh, well I just don't like change so I'm not going to learn it it's a genuine fear of something different being introduced into their 
you know, their daily lives that's going to slow them down in the short term and that's going to it's going to be different buttons you know and they're not necessarily know going to know how to troubleshoot it and it's going to take a little while and I think that fear factor particularly within the legal accounts function is a massive it's a massive consideration and that's why we try to always put legal cashier with the accounting team because they've done the job they know the challenges they can build a rapport and they can completely sympathize with the the differing priorities the deadlines and the the rules that they need to comply with so that they can provide that reassurance and actually that's not so much software training that's just human interaction and I think that's you know that's really important part of the experience. I think that's right. And I think um, there's another area I found where there's also quite a few fear factors involved is anybody who's doing the job outside the office. So uh, in my particular sphere, anybody who's working down the police station, who is in court, who is having to work at the sharp end of the law and, and in real time work really fast under the pressure of interviews and bail applications, remand courts and whatever. It's that sense, isn't it, of one mistake could prove to be catastrophic and whether it's for the firm's finances or whether it's for the client actually which is the other aspect I see you know if I get it wrong if I haven't got the information if I can't handle the software under pressure for example in front of the bench in a remand hearing then the client's going to suffer and I think there's a lot of those conversations that firms could benefit from having as well. I think the more that the, the users feel supported and, and understood and, and you know taking Nicola's point on board you know the cashier should feel like that they are passionate about what they do and they, they are responsible for the posting. I think that the leadership team and the law firm needs to appreciate that, but also understand that there are provisions and processes in place to assist them and support them. So you know, great they feel so passionate about it. That shouldn't change the drive for, uh, for, for updating and for improvement. It shouldn't, you shouldn't not do it because someone objects to it, but you should definitely understand and, and reason with them and then show how you can mitigate those problems through support training and a similar example you gave Christina people have got the right skills and functionality and faith in the software well then it's great isn't it I mean we, we love being able to rely on software software is there ultimately to make our life better if it wasn't we wouldn't use it but it does so we do and that's it we know it makes our life better because we trust and we rely upon it and and, and that I think is is, is is part of the battle when you get the trust and reliance you can invest more time into it and then you move forward and you need that that support and that understanding around that piece. I think part of it, and and the second area that firms sometimes don't invest in enough is building the processes. And you mentioned a minute ago, Craig, about not valuing the solicitor who had put time in to create processes and then they slipped. But actually, the processes are the cornerstone of, of giving people confidence, aren't they? Because if the processes are in place within the software and they trigger reliably every time, then you can start to trust that things are going to happen as they're supposed to happen. But again, I think there's a feeling that the software should bring the process with it. And maybe there isn't always an attempt to understand what the software can do and what it needs the firm to do so that it mirrors how the firm works. This is a really interesting one because one of the issues that I've definitely faced in the past is when someone's invested in a new piece of technology, but they want it to work how the old system used to work. And if you wanted to do that, then why did you invest in the new technology? Because you're not going to take advantage of all of these new skills. So you, you need to kind of work with the law firm on that base and say, well, look, that 
was how you did it, but this is better. And this is why you've invested in this new piece of technology. We see that a lot with people coming across to Leap and, and perhaps not really realizing the full values of it because they want to use it how they used to. Leap's better than that. You don't need to use it in that old way, old integrated way. So that's the one bit to, to, to consider. Then, I, and I, I don't know Nick will agree with this, one of the hardest things to do is to get a, a room of solicitors together and agree on a, a standard set of terms, conditions of business. So, you know, I've worked with lots of law firms where every conveyance has had a different client care letter and a different set of T's and C's. Well, how can they be? Because it's the same department. So we, we've got to get some standardization where we can, and then obviously build that into the process of within the software. So you, you're right, law firms need to look at their internal processes and say, this is crazy. Why have we got you know a different set of T's and C's for family and probate and wills and probe and, and, and conveyancing and, and then where we've got four within that department and two in that department for auditing for Lexal having standard process and procedures are key software is great at replicating work and, and repeating processes that are built into it it's not going to you know drive loads of benefits if you still have to select from one of 15 different sets of T's and C's <laughs> have one and it will do a really great job for you I um, couldn't agree more Craig. The, the processes are absolutely fundamental and there's such a, a link between pro- process and risk. I think in particularly as the legal sector has evolved so much since COVID and we've now got a dispersed workforce, you know, those those processes aren't a nice to have anymore. They're a fundamental part of what's expected. And that's why the Law Society and other regulators put so much focus on that kind of practice management element and the expectations in terms of your you know your your office manual and your procedures because without those you you really are just hoping that everybody exercises best judgment at all times and with the best will in the world things happen things get missed and and those processes have to be there to trap and and identify those, those situations the other thing is as as you said you know processes don't stand still so putting a a, situ- a, a process in place you know many many years ago that really unless that's um, returned to on a continuous basis it really has no value today and you do find as well that with process people can suffer from learned bad behavior as well so what what perhaps is determined in the procedurals manual in the in the system's workflows in you know in their processes in reality you may have a situation where that actually isn't the rea- you know the reality of what's happening because there's no induction procedure the the secretary next who sits next door to the new secretary has trained them how to do it and actually they weren't doing it right in the first place so you know it's that kind of inconsistency poor quality and it gets compounded it gets bigger it gets more prevalent so having the software systems the the processes that are required to support the business operations it, it really is the foundation of, of of everything and i think in the larger law firms they are you know, some of the firms we work with, they have teams dedicated to that. Um, but then again, with the sort of one to 50 user firms, they don't have that luxury. So engaging with experts like ourselves, like yourselves to help bring in the software, not just replicate the existing processes and map it into the new system, but to actually look at what's available and adapt and evolve their processes you know the return on investment of of those types of discussions and 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 policy changes are so beneficial for the firm i've done quite a lot of the work on iso 27001 or we work with a really great company who shared a um 
a term with me which I've always used, and that's PDCA, Plan, Do, Check, Act. And it's a constant process of planning your work, delivering it, checking its work, and then acting on what you need to do. So definitely something for all firms to take away is a bit of PDCA, Plan, Do, Check, Act, that constant improvement. The other thing I recommend to law firms is for your department quarterly meeting, have software as an item that remains on there. A line item for AOB, software. Is it working? Is there anything we need to do? Is there anything we should be doing differently? And make it an ongoing conscious process for you to ask the question of the department to see whether or not it's okay. And if it's not okay, action it. And then PDCA, repeat again in a quarter. Is it now okay? Is there anything else we need to build in? So don't allow it from a departmental or from a business point of view to be forgotten. Pull it next to, you know, your, your agenda item is something you want to actively discuss on a quarterly basis. And that, I think, is a, is a really great way of ensuring that it doesn't fall off the agenda because if there is an issue, someone gets to raise it and, and an action plan gets to be made. Obviously, we're seeing it as an investment and we ought to be seeing it as an investment, but actually there's a large cost attributed to it as well. You know, I think recent benchmarking shows that many firms are only spending sort of one to two percent of their turnover on IT expense in Australia and, and, and other uh, other sort of technologically advanced businesses, they're spending around 10%. Now, that's a lot of money. And I, I guarantee if you went into a, a small law firm and said, right, you know, if they're turning over a, a million, you've got to spend 100,000 a year on, on IT, they, they would be terrified. But actually, what if that increases your revenue by 20%? It, it's understanding that, yes, there is a cost attributed, but actually it is it is an investment. And if you are spending a significant proportion of your revenue, you need to do it justice because you wouldn't spend that much on your on your people and and not making the same investment. You can't just put it in the corner and forget about it. Yeah, I, I think your point in regard to um, technology is really, really um, relevant, especially what we spend on technology. You go back 20 years, a PC was £4,000. I mean, it was an yes. expensive item. Yeah. Now, get a laptop that can pretty much you know, run the world for a thousand pounds if you work that out over a three-year term it's cost you about a pound a day to have a laptop how much time do you spend on that device and it's amazing when you, know, you speak to some law firms who perhaps don't see that as an investment but you'll guarantee everyone's got the latest iphone you think goodness me you're happy to have that latest iphone but the laptop you're using is seven years old i mean i think it's probably paid for itself in that time and again yeah. ongoing investment and and ultimately whilst a lot of things are going up in price and you know Technology, look back, has been massively reduced in price and improved. Very few things in our life both cost less and get better. And tech is one of those things that do. And, and I mean, that's the third point is failure to invest in technology. And I think that the point of technology is to be a multiplier of your abilities as a business. And that has become utterly essential now that we have changed the way that we do the business. It is It's probably five years ago, no more than that, when a firm would regard their bricks and mortar as being one of their major expenses. And actually, they don't have to do that anymore if they don't want to. And they are also being led by the nose by an increasingly expectant client base who do go on and do their shopping online and do their car tax renewal and their this and their that and they expect it to happen pretty fast. So the lack of investment, I think, is starting to betray a deeper failure to shift actually in business mentality, which says, yes, it's an expense. It is a bit like bricks and mortar and we resent it. I would ask both of you, start with you, Nicola. 
Are we actually just now eating, reaching the critical point where if you don't invest 10%, 12% regularly a year in IT to keep it updated, to keep yourself ahead of where you need to be, the real danger is you're going to lose business. I think so. And obviously there are there are variations on a theme depending on the areas of law that are practiced, whether it's um, publicly funded work, whether it's uh, privately funded work. I mean, from a consumer perspective, we as consumers of legal services privately, you know, when we're buying a house or doing a will, we are all living incredibly busy lives. We want easy access to those services as we would when we were doing our groceries order or you know signing up for our car insurance and so our interaction with the law firms our level of expectation is is completely revolutionized through through the use of technology in our private lives and therefore firms who can't offer that will naturally fall behind and I think as well not only that if you look at some of the information in the legal press Currently, there's been a recent article by the um, Legal Frontiers, Legal Practice Management magazine for small to medium sized enterprises, sort of one to one to 50 staff. Their two primary focuses for investment are business operations, because they're having to look to cut costs because there's a cost of living crisis. They need to increase staff salaries to keep up with inflation. But, you know, the prices aren't going up that much, so they've got to make changes there. So that's kind of one key focus is is, is saving and making business operations more efficient, which technology can absolutely help with. And then the other key element is the first thing I said, which is that client service, that delivery model, that how do you engage with your clients? How do you make the experience for them as accessible uh, as possible? And and so those those two things in terms of priorities for legal practice managers, both are entirely reliant on technology. So the, there is a there is a big shift, and that does mean you know more investment. But once you've done that and you are looking at it as Craig said as an incremental process, the costs are far far outweighed by the benefits. Do you think we have got to the point as well where? staff, I mean, you mentioned earlier there was a recruitment crisis. Do you think staff increasingly are looking at a firm and going, I'm interested in you because you've got modern IT or I will reject you because actually it's a bit untwacky? Yeah, definitely. I mean, Leap's got a wonderful name out there and, you know, you, you can see the difference between you know, a member of staff starting with a firm who knows Leap and uses Leap because they just get to enjoy their first day at work versus someone who's not come from that background. Conversely, if you were um, someone who would use Leap and you'd relied on Leap, then went to a place that didn't have a process in, in, in place, didn't have a PMS, then I honestly think you would just be stuck as to what to do. I mean, where would you get your templates? Where would you save them? How are these done? So there is quite rightly an expectation that there will be a central system and that there will be predefined process in place. If you don't have one and it's not used particularly well, then I think you are definitely reducing the uh, type of audience of any applications that you want to come through the door. Definitely. And I think, you know, it, it really does depend on the generation you're trying to recruit. You know, there's lots of talk about the millennials and the Gen X and, you know, the things that, that people have learned through their education, many, many of whom have had access to technology from, you know, being in nursery, you know, they're now coming into the job market. So that their level of expectation is completely different to what it would have been when we went into legal technology 20 odd years ago. 
Moving the subject on a little bit, the fourth area that we tend to see reflected back at us quite a lot is system discontent. And I think this runs alongside actually not valuing it, thinking it as a cost centre, not doing the training. Nicola, can I ask you, do you get do you get to see a fairly high level of people who do the classic, I guess, which says, you know, the system's rubbish, it doesn't do this. And then actually it turns out, of course it does, it does it in spades. Absolutely. I mean, we, we are independent of LEAP. We work with pretty much every legal practice management provider in the UK and some in, in America and Ireland too. I'm often asked by prospective clients, will you help us find another system? That, that's something that they will come to us and say, you know, we're, we're really unhappy with our system. It's old hat. It doesn't do what we need it to do. Will you help us find another system? And more often than not, by the end of the conversation, there'll be a realisation where actually they have completely misidentified what their system is capable of. You know, probably people are using 20% of their system. There's another 80% there they don't even know about or they haven't got a clue how to use sort of 80-20 rule. And from a from a functional perspective, let's, you know, aesthetics and accessibility in cloud, they're, they're different things. But from a functionality perspective, there are certain expectations regarding document management, legal accounts, time recording, billing. The software systems have to do it because they have to comply with the rules and there's an expectation. So if somebody comes to us and says, we can't do X, and it's in that list, chances are the system does do that. They just don't know it. They've never been shown it and they've never explored it. And actually, that's a red flag in itself because there's obviously a culture within that business of not looking to continuously improve, not looking to try and invest in what you've got already. The costs of moving system are significant. I mean, they're significantly less than they were 10 years ago when the, you know, the SaaS model wasn't really a thing, but they're still costly in terms of you know the education time, the learning curve time, the procedures, the, the training, etc. So for people to move systems because they think their existing platform is inadequate, it can often be quite a, a significant financial decision. And in reality, many of the times, they could have actually secured all of the features that they wanted just from working with a partner or expert who understands that product at a, at a level of detail which they, they clearly don't have. And I think that that's a really, really important consideration. And that's certainly one of the questions we ask, you know, when, when people come to us, you know, how are you using it now? Who are your super users? Do you use this feature? How do you provide your management information? It's really about understanding what they're using so that we can make an informed recommendation as to what their next steps might be. I said earlier on in the discussion, you know, we have had people who've left firms because they felt that the system was inadequate. They've gone to another firm and the grass isn't always greener. So it, it is it is a real it is a real factor. And we actively encourage people to work with what they've got ahead of a, a move of system. You know, there are scenarios where the systems are very old legacy systems and they haven't kept pace. They're not available in a cloud offering. They can't. The automated facilities that we see in Leap and other um, innovative solutions aren't just available to them because they'd have to rewrite the product from the ground up. You know, so there are very many scenarios where the product is not cutting the mustard, as it were, with, with comparative products in the in the market. But even so, 
having that time to take stock of what is in place would certainly assist with any selection process for new software because you're better understanding what you're using and what you've got so that when you know what when you're trying to pick what you want going forward you know exactly what it is that you need so I would always recommend that process regardless of whether the ultimate decision is to change or not and and this can go back to the perhaps the core of the of the business. So just because you've decided to change your software, if there isn't this leadership and, and top-down process about using the software, you could find that you've spent all this money, you've changed the software, you've been through the disruption, but guess what? You're, you're no not further on. <laughs> no further on. And it's just been a really difficult time, a very costly time. So you know, back to the point about having it on an agenda item, there's no reason why it's not an agenda item in the boardroom as well. Are we getting the most from our IT company? Any IT company, any software supplier worth their salt will want to engage with you to make you use their software better, help you use their software better. We do it through our practice product here advisors. I go out and see clients, my colleagues do as well. We love interacting with clients and helping them make the most of of lead. That's what we're here for. And that's what you should expect from your from your software provider. There is a feeling outside of the legal profession that technology is one of the primary business building blocks to actually make your business thrive, that you should almost build your business and its processes with the technology sitting central. And as part of that, therefore, you recognize that two things go hand in hand, the improvement, the consistent improvement of technology and a constant thinking about the business. And and what you both seem to be hinting at is that maybe within law firms, there's less of a sense of working on the business, of recognizing those elements, giving them their due value when, when they sit and they have conversations about how do we earn more money? How do we grow this business? Absolutely. Sorry, Craig, you go. So, yeah, I I mean, long, long time ago, but, you know, Henry Ford realised the quickest way to to, to deal with the process is to to run the conveyor belt system. And of course, now factories have to operate on that basis. Now, solicitors aren't in any way, shape or form a conveyor belt, but there are processes they can go through that will improve things, how we onboard every new client. Now, that is a process that we can at home, we can get right, we can guarantee success on an individual firm by firm basis. Don't leave things like that to chat let software work for you and provide the returns you expect and invest some time thinking about that as well you're covering you know, guaranteeing the income from the business because you've secured it with the client you can make sure you're doing all your due diligence checks your aml checks we can automate this we can get that client journey to start so much quicker think back to the old days when we used to send out documents in the post and then wait for them to come back they might not come back and then ask for money on account and then get a copy of their passport I mean, like we shouldn't be doing things like that anymore there are such better methods and that is relevant i think across every area of law we practice so you can make as a firm a top-down decision of this is how we onboard a client and these are the reasons we do it and those are the kind of leadership initiatives that will soon get your firm wanting more and more from their it I think as well, from a leadership perspective, it's really important to understand what is the differentiating factor that makes you stand out from the competition. You know, what? why do the clients come back to you? And we're not saying, you know, use technology for every aspect and become that type of conveyor belt type organisation. If we can minimise the cost and the time frame for onboarding and for billing and for all of the back office operational activities, we're then creating better margins to allow for 
a more human element on a on a personal level you know that, that client service that relationship that rapport people use solicitors often that their most challenging times in their lives you know it's rare that we're going you know we're going through a solicitor for something positive so to to create that different experience and to invest in the relationship with the client so that you do get that return business if you're minimizing the cost of delivering other parts of the service you can have that time and put it back in the pot to you know to invest in the client facing services which ultimately uh, as it becomes a more competitive landscape there has to be a differentiator you know in decades gone by families used the same solicitor for generations because that's just what happened but now if you want to buy a house you probably go on a comparison site and find the best price in your region and if they've got a good review solicitors rating or whatever it might be then that's ultimately going to be a deciding factor so I think that's a really key part of the culture is understanding where do we want to invest our time and how can we differentiate so the the onboarding process is absolutely one of the places where investment can be made to improve efficiency, improve experience and reduce cost. I think one of the other areas as well is giving clients better access at the times of day they want it, they can see their case files, that that sense of secrecy is going and clients like that, don't they? They want that to be an essential part of the service. Yeah, I, I would say that the biggest issue I think in, in all customer facing businesses is when the client doesn't know. They aren't annoyed that nothing's happening, they're annoyed they don't know that nothing's happening so if we can get software services to process those updates so we are keeping our clients informed we are sharing documents with them through law connect and we are informing them of the process of this case even if it's to say really sorry but the search is still on back that's so much better than not knowing the searches aren't back and thinking you, you your solicitor's forgotten about you of course you know it is the most important thing that's going on in your life at that time so you want to know that your solicitor's 100% on it and they are but are they using technology to convey that to you and let you know those experiences so i think mm-hmm. yeah. sorry, sorry i was to say and even that the automatic messaging or status updates the cost of setting that up in a system is not negligible the cost of reception phones blowing up every lunchtime because that's time that people get to make the calls to the solicitor and then somebody having to answer that call find the detail get the status and let the client know or conversely have to find a time to ring them back yeah it's just more, much more cost effective to have to head it off at the pass and to get that status update out there, you know, just as a byproduct of what's happening on the system. Yeah, it can be as easy as a, as a proactive text message through Leak, you know. It's really simple, but the client at least knows what's going on and, and they feel so much happier because they know what's going on. And also, it's quite cool getting a text from your client to say, hey, you can go and pick up your keys or whatever that news might be. It's brilliant, yeah. right? So yeah. let's, let's, let's let tech help us define our service and provide that high level of customer service. So the fifth and final point I think I want to make out of this, which you both alluded to really, is that one of the things that firms really need to concentrate on is continuous improvement, isn't it? It, And it's a rolling set of improvements across everything we've talked about, across people, across processes, across the technology and the thinking, the firm, the culture that the firm has around it. And I think that's one of the reasons why, particularly the work that you do, Nicola, with your team, that's really sitting underneath it, isn't it? That's the driver. 
absolutely. It's just not accepting the status quo. You know, it's so common to hear, well, we've always done it that way. Well, I get where you're coming from. We may have always done it that way, but we're not in this. We're not working on the same platform. We're not in the same, you know, the sector is unrecognizable. And I think what's really nice for the clients that we're working with of, of this sort of small to medium sized enterprises, very rarely do firms of that size get to be in a position of strength. You know, in terms of recruitment, they often can't compete salaries wise with the, you know, the top 100 firms. So they might not get, they may not be able to get the staff they want because they might not be able to meet those, you know, salary expectations. There might be restrictions on what they can afford from a, a, from a technology perspective. But actually now more than ever, because they are a smaller, more agile firm, there's less bureaucracy in decision making and they probably won't have a large infrastructure a large IT team of sunk costs, fixed costs, which they can't get out of very easily, they are going to be in a position of strength because they can move more quickly. They can embrace those technologies much easier. You know, we work with firms of two, 300 people and they're looking at, at system changes. You know, it can take them six months to buy a system and get it through the management board and then another 18 months to implement, by which time you've lost the lead advantage. Whereas, you know, the elite clients, you know, they can make a decision within a couple of days. You know, we've implemented people in as, as little as sort of two to three weeks in some cases. You know, yes, the larger firms, we, you know, we do sort of recommend a longer project timeline, but they are the little fish in a big pond rather than a big fish in a little pond. And actually, unusually in this situation, that allows them greater ability to be flexible and to make those purchasing decisions and to get them implemented quickly. And therefore, that gives them competitive advantage. So I think it's quite nice, actually, for the firms that we work with, that they are able to do that. Because I know from some of the larger firms that we work with, it's frustrating because they know what they have isn't right for them. And they want to make a change and they want to kind of work to continuously improve, to, to get something in place and then build upon it and continuously improve. But they just can't get it over the starting blocks. And that's that's really, really frustrating. Yeah, one, one of the bits I see as perhaps a reason not to do something is well, we, don't, we don't know if it's going to work. But of course, you, you won't know if it's going to work unless you do it. So there's a lot of work with development and you have a minimum viable product. You, you do something and then you make it iterative improvements. And that, again, goes down that plan, do, check, act process. Being an agile firm is a massive advantage because you get to do that. Got to take in consideration risks and SRA regulation, I know, but you can make changes to business processes that you think might improve things with your clients. And if they don't, then you can change them. They're not stuck in staying forever and ever. So be agile, think agilely, get it on your uh, on, on your departmental checklist and, and, and use software to your advantage. And the whole, I mean, again, you know, we're going back. It used to be very much a big bang approach to software implementation. Well, we've got a new system, so we're going to spend 10 months getting everything right before we even switch the system on because you know that's what we've paid for so we want it all and we want it now but for many of the reasons that we've talked about people process technology that's often not the best approach it can be overwhelming so getting the fundamentals in and then bringing on sort of bite-sized improvements and evolution rather than a revolution yeah, yeah. often results in, in in a much better outcome for everybody because by now change is hard you know as humans we you know, it is, it, it just is. And therefore trying to do everything all at once can be very, 
very overwhelming. So that iterative process, let's look at it in bite-sized chunks. Let's let's revisit it. Let's evolve it. Let's let's continuously improve it. Let's not aim for perfection on day one. That's a really, a really important mindset. That's excellent. I think I'd really second that. And I think it's a great place to conclude today, actually. Now, we've obviously covered a lot of ground today. So if there are any questions or you'd like to speak to Craig about any aspect of today's discussion, then please feel free to contact him on craig.matthews at leap.co.uk. My huge thanks to Craig and Nicola for being with us today. And thank you for listening. If there's any subject that you'd like to hear covered in this podcast, or indeed, if you'd like to join us for it, please do contact us at digitalsolicitor at leap.co.uk. Until next time, stay well and take care. Okay.